There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about four grouchy New Yorkers who team up to fight a 16th century wizard filling the sewers with pink slime that makes people angry. Oh, wait! How silly of me. That's the plot of the 1989 film Ghostbusters 2, I read for some reason. This is actually a podcast where we chat about films. I'm Sam, and this is my dear, dear friend and co-host, Danny. Danny, what's coming up on today's show? Well, this week I'll be reviewing the long-delayed sci-fi fable Snowpiercer by Korean vindekind auteur Bong Joon-ho, and we'll both be taking a critical eye to Christopher Nolan's epic, epic interstellar. We'll also be looking at the latest movie news, and wondering whether if four films in this series... Might just be one film too many. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch. Films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. Mm. Mm. But first, some correspondence. Okay. Um, last week. I read out a tweet from Philip French, and we wrongly assumed he was dead. Yes, I something remember. we realised after we'd released the podcast. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's got back in touch. Well, I speculated that he might be dead. <laughs> um, he sent me a series of tweets. I mean, they could have all just been one tweet or maybe two tweets, but he spread them over about six tweets. Okay. Um, so he said, uh, "Dead? Me? You wish you mewling assholes? You made a pal of enemy today, you mewling assholes." Nobody fucks with the Philip French, especially you pair of mewling assholes. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think as a film critic, he'd be a bit more varied with his vocabulary. Yeah. I was quite shocked to read So that. we've received tweet abuse now from Philip French and Peter Bradshaw. Yeah, we are not friends of the Guardians. Oh, Just wait, Solomon. Zan Brooks going to write? Who's everyone? Who's the uh, Solomon? Jason Solomon? Yeah, I think he writes them sometimes. Or Catherine Schwab. Catherine Schwad. Catherine Schwad. I don't think she'll like that pronunciation of her surname. God. <laughs> we can only imagine. <laughs> what's the, the reaction going to be? Um, any more, any more uh, correspondence? No, that was it. Well, uh, we did get one comment on Facebook from uh, a gentleman called Richard Plummer. <laughs> who uh, wanted to know what the best films were with ducks in. 
What do you think, Kenny? What's the best Ducks film? <clears throat> Mighty Ducks? No, Ow. the sequel, I think, is the best. Mighty Ducks 2. Mighty Ducks 2. They, it's quite interesting, actually. Okay. Well, not interesting. No, no, no. Go into it at some length. Because it was made in the mid-90s, uh, it's basically, in the first one, they're like some plucky kids, and they've all got like problems, like juvenile delinquents, and they like play like the sort of preppy boarding school, and they're all snobs, but the sort of young hooligan kids win, right? And in the sequel, they got to up the, up the stakes, so it's like this sort of international competition, it's like some sort of junior Olympics ice hockey thing. Mm-hmm. But um, the villains are like the Icelandics. It's like, ooh. Like it's Viking. Like, yeah, but it's like a weird sort of like... You know, because the Russians is too obvious as a villain. And, you know, like, the sort of... The bad guys in the mid-90s, like, Iceland was a safe bet. That's a bit weird, isn't it's it? It's weird, like, you know? Like, it's sort of telling of its time. Why like... is the villain, like, an island nation of about <laughs> 200,000 people? Because I think they're, like, they're a bit... They seem a bit Russian, you know? I think that was the sort of... <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, like, weird. Weird. Hmm, interesting. Uh, thanks, Richard, for that uh, question. It prompted quite a fascinating little excursion yeah. there. Yeah. Anyway... Sam, the title of our podcast. Okay. It's that... still a matter of debate. Yeah. Um, last so week, not, I... not one of the uh, 40 names that you suggested last week uh, is going to work. Yeah. But don't worry, because I've been back at the drawing board. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. I'm going to just fire some names at you, and I want no, your yeah. instant reaction. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, the first one is a listener's suggestion. Dan Nile suggested Geek Speak. Geek Speak. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a similar vein, I went for Nerd Word. <laughs> Sounds shorter. Okay. Um, Roman Podlansky. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Okay. Podcast of the Mohicans. <laughs> I like that one. Film negatives, film positives. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Because, like, celluloid, yeah. film negative. I get it, yeah. And it's also, like, a review show. So some will say some positive things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The podcast and the pod furious. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And finally, Danny and Specs at the multiplex. <laughs> you're Specs now. Yeah, but that's because you wear glasses. Yeah, I get it, but it also sounds a bit like you're saying Danny inspects. Like each week, Danny inspects. <laughs> I went to the View in Finchley Park. <laughs> Danny inspects the multiplex. <laughs> you go to different large cinemas and see what you think. I went to the Curzon Cinema. Marvelous. Marvelous. Pinot Grigio, seven pounds. <laughs> Marvelous. And that was Danny Inspects the Multiplex. Okay. Okay, well, I'll have some more names for next week. Yeah, well, we've got no end of ideas for spin off podcasts. Yeah, it's going to be good. More next week, huh? More next that's week. Not, that's not the end of that particular running segment. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tips, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. Sam. Yes. The news. The news. Okay, so, uh... Very exciting, or perhaps not, maybe, maybe a bit scary, this news. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, while we were on air last week... Well, on our recording, the news dropped that Toy Story 4 has been announced. Wow. Let me read you the quote from John Lasseter. Okay. We love these characters so much, they are like family to us. We don't want to do anything with them unless it lives up or surpasses what's gone before. Toy Story 3 ended Woody and Buzz's story with Andy so perfectly that for a long time we never even talked about doing another Toy Story movie. But when Andrew, Pete, Lee and I came up with this new idea, I just could not stop thinking about it. 
It was so exciting to me. I knew we had to make this movie, and I wanted to direct it myself. Hmm. So 2017, a new Toy Story. Okay. But then, quickly on the heels of this news, Born 4 has been announced, or Born 4.5, or... Born I don't know what it is. The fourth Born film to feature Born. <laughs> yes. It's weird that I made that distinguishment. Yeah. Yeah, he was at some sort of press conference, and he says, yeah, it'll be out in 2016, Paul Greengrass is going to do another one, and that's all I ever said. I just needed him to say yes. So Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon are on board for the Born. I don't know, what's better than Ultimatum? Um, Maybe it would be like Jason Bourne Reborn. Mm, what? The Reborn Born. <laughs> The Born Reborn. The Born Reborn. Yeah. Still Born? How about like... <laughs> <laughs> still, still Born. <laughs> Sounds like they're a bit pessimistic about the film's chances. Anyway. So, basically, are you excited about any of these two films? Like, do you think... No, it's quite... Do they make you cynical? Is it a cynical hunt for profit? Well, exactly. They're... It's both interesting because they're both examples of modern movie trilogies where every installment's thought to be good. Yeah. I mean, true. like, it's hard, like, every trilogy, there's always, like, the dud third part. We're or... just basically going to pretend that the Bourne legacy was never yeah. made. Never made. Yeah. And um, it definitely ended. You know, the premise of the whole franchise was he's, like, a spy, I can't remember what he did. Yeah. I mean, now he's remembered what he's done. He knows so, what he's done. So now he's done. What's yeah. he going to do? So it's a, it's a bit like the story doesn't really lend itself to a sequel. But Man Damon and Paul Greengrass don't really strike me as a sort of cash-in guys. Yeah. So that's... A, bit of a glimmer of hope for it. I guess that's what the stories have in common, you know, is that they're both from people who have a reputation for integrity when it comes yeah. to that sort of thing. but I think the sort of Pixar quality stamp has been a bit diminished in recent years, because of all the Cars sequels and... Well, they have done some... Monsters University. Some unasked for sequels, yeah. That's true. They do have a bit of a history there. Quick final item, final news item. Um, Tarantino has announced that he intends to make ten films only. So The Hateful Eight will be his eighth film. And uh, after the smelly nine and the, <laughs> the angry ten, <laughs> uh, he'll be retiring. Um, so and what a loss! Yeah, I mean, he's sort of like. So that's not sarcastic. But I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I, yeah. I generally yeah. would, you know, I think he should make more films. It would be a great shame, but he quite he hedged his announcement quite a lot. He was like, um, "Well, if I come up with a really great idea and I want to make it into a film, then you know." Uh, I will, so I don't want to like draw. Doesn't he do that? Is not what he does right now? Exactly. Is he, is he implying that he currently is just making them to just to change them out? You know. I'm gonna make two more. What can I say? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much stock I put in it. It's a bit I weird, isn't it, to announce your own retirement, but like quite a ways in the future. Yeah, I mean, he has this argument that he doesn't want to end up like a sort of old man movie director yeah. who's like lost his mojo. Yeah, he has talked about. I don't want to make old man movies, whatever those are. But I think that's like Billy Wilder didn't make anything good after the apartment, really. Like, no one cares, you know. It's not like that diminished his reputation at all. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, he made, you know, Fedora. It's like, oh, God, you know. That really, you know, makes me think something I can hold as a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, isn't it a bit weird to have this kind of, like, lack of confidence about your own ability? It's like, <laughs> right now I'm at the top of my game. Every film I make is an absolute masterpiece. In five years, I will, I will be shit. Like, yeah. I'm going to lose it. I don't know. I don't believe it. Yeah. I don't believe it any more than when he shelved the Hateful Eight when uh, the, script, the script was leaked. Yeah. That's it, I'm moving on to the next one. I got a ton of great ideas. I got a million more movies about bounty hunters. <laughs> this won't be... I don't give, give a shit. Nah, actually, it's pretty good. I think I'll make the film. Yeah. You know what I realised the other day? That wasn't a great joke. Um, <laughs> Tarantino. I didn't practice my And this is like, might be a fun thing for the listeners to do. Because okay. he looks like Richard Keel 
the actor who played Jaws in <laughs> Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, he's just slowly becoming Richard Keir. Turning I'm, into Jaws. I'm going to put the two images together and put them on Facebook. Okay. But he's slowly turning into Jaws. Yeah. There's a promise you better keep. <laughs> You've said that now. Maybe now. that's why he has to stop. He's he's goodbye back in five weeks' time. It will just become, become yeah. Richard Keel. Well, because Bond henchmen just can't make films. <laughs> it's never been known to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wish, they're always trying to make films. <laughs> yeah. And oh, Jim, put that bolex down. <laughs> and pick that bowler up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of another henchman but I can't dub that I don't think we're going to get better than Bolex and Bola <laughs> that'll be one lesser director whose surname is an adjective yeah, yeah. which will be a great loss to uh, <laughs> everyone's vocabulary yeah but maybe someone else will come in and replace that like you know the adjective void why is there no adjective Anderson-esque what's going on is it because people were confusing with Paul W.S. Anderson yeah like well, well, which Anderson are you talking about? It's Wes Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, right, yeah, that's even Wes Anderson. PTA. Yeah, I was thinking of PTA. I had like a sort of funny story where like uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, the director of Mortal Kombat and several like nine Resident Evil movies. Yeah. Like he was constantly being confused for like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, so he added the W.S. But then like Wes Anderson became really famous, so like he's <laughs> he's like constantly being confused like these two like. Like greatest filmmakers of our generations, yeah, and like yeah. he's just the guy who made like Alien vs Predator, yeah. And they're asking about like gets like these interviews, like mm. thinking he made Moonrise Kingdom or <laughs> Magnolia or There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Feel, kind of, kind of feel sorry for the guy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Poor guy. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask we poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off Danny, so I understand that you've recently watched a uh, Netflix film with a lot of movie stars that has never been released uh, in the UK I have, Sam. That film is called Snowpiercer And I need to tell you about it right now I need to hear it Basically, it's directed by Bong Joon-ho. I'm sure you're familiar with his name. He's a... <laughs> <laughs> you're familiar with director The man? Work. No. The name? Yes. <laughs> well, he's a big deal. He directed The Host, Memories of a Murder, and um, The Mother, all of which were huge hits critically and commercially. And he's like this... He's like the hot shit in Korea. He's like yeah. considered one of the best directors working at the moment, not internationally. So this movie was his English-language debut... And there was a lot of hype behind it. Yeah. And uh, it was filmed in 2012. It was released in South Korea in August last year, where it grossed 80 million from a 42 million budget. So it was like a huge hit. And I think now it's in the top 10 grossing movies in Korea of all time. Who's, who's in the movie? In the movie is Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, John Hurt. John Hurt. John Hurt. Playing John Hurt, essentially. He's playing the dust on the walls um, of the train. Jamie Bell, uh, who else? Alison Pill. And I need to get their names right. Um, 
uh, this I apologise to our Korean listeners, <laughs> uh, Song Kang Ho and Go Ah Sung, who were both in The Host, and Sang Kang Ho is like a like a huge deal in Korea. Basically, this film um, was made, it was released last year in Korea, and then the Weinstein companies, those evil Weinsteins, picked up the distribution rights. Yeah. And then um, there was a lot of hoo-ha because they demanded um, that he cut 20 minutes out of the film and also add a prologue and epilogue um, to it to make it clearer, which is ridiculous if you watch the movie because it's perfectly clear. And the director said no, and there was a sort of stalemate, and then a lot of sort of news outlets picked this up, and there was a lot of sort of backlash, and John Hurt was very outspoken about how much he didn't like Harvey Weinstein. I don't like the man. I, I don't like that man. I don't approve. I don't approve Weinstein. And um, basically, it had like, it got a very small release in America for like about two days and like limited screens, and the Weinsteins have decided, um, for some unknown reason, just to release the film now on video on demand. So right. you can watch it on Netflix if you can trick your computer into being American. Yeah. Which I did because I've been hearing about this movie for so long. I couldn't wait for the sort of indeterminate time it might somehow come out on the UK screens. Yeah. I um, emailed the Prince Charles Cinema, mm-hmm. um, see if they knew anything about it. And the guy who's head programmer there, a guy called um, Paul Vickery, send me this email as it stands the film still hasn't secured UK theatrical release which means we're not able to book it um, but he's going by some alternate means to try and make it happen we're getting requests daily to bring it to the big screen so we'll do all I can to make it happen and then turns out the Weinsteins have the UK rights so he's chasing them down it's perfect for Prince Charger because like the host was a real cult movie yeah. it was like a huge movie in Korea but just by the fact that it was foreign it became like a sort of cult movie in sort of English speaking territories yeah yeah so it's bizarre that they haven't released it because they just stand to make a lot of money. It stars, you know, it's got Captain America in it, it's got, you know, a huge cast. Everyone's recognisable in it. It's a real sort of, it's that guy from that thing kind of cast. Captain America's in it. Captain um, America's in it. Anyway, shall I give you the synopsis? Yeah. Yes, synopsisize it, please. In the year 2014, or well, this year, this year governments around the world released a manufactured gas in the atmosphere hoping it would reverse the effects of global warming. Unfortunately, it actually plunged the world into a new ice age. A spokesman at the time said, this is the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> As luck would have it, an eccentric entrepreneur called Wilford has built a high-tech train that literally runs across the entire world. Okay. And uh, onto this giant metaphor, the remnants of humanity <laughs> clamber on. And uh, the story takes place 17 years later, where this sort of fascist rule has been instilled on the train and the sort of back carriages of the proletariat and like treated like scum and mm-hmm. like barely kept alive and abused and as you go through the carriage like society gets better and like there's a sort of hedonist carriage mm-hmm. at the front and Chris Evans is the sort of reluctant second in command to sort of John Hurt's revolutionary leader and it's all about the back carriage leading, leading revolution to get to the front of the train I see and it's like tits it's ridiculously exciting <laughs> That's my review. Your description of it as as tits is like the tits. That's positive, yeah. Well, I got a question. Where's yeah. the train going? It's just going around the world in one loop. So why doesn't it like stop moving? Because like, for reasons unexplained. Okay. It's like it's very well designed, and you get a real sense of the world. But if you kind of wanted to pick holes in it, it's like where the hell? How does this thing run? What's going on? You know? Yeah. Why yeah. did it never stop? You just got to kind of accept. It's kind of it. yeah. The biggest like leap is just the premise of the movie. If you can get on board everyone on this train, then like you're sold. Yeah, yeah. The film. If you can get on board. If you nice. get on <laughs> if you can get on board the train, you're sold. Well I was reading a lot of reviews of this film and they all like employ train based metaphors. Oh, of course they did, yeah. Um it's like this sort of 
uh, action movie and like a with this kind of political bent but then it's got a sort of it's got this satire and then there's moments of just like absurd comedy hmm. and like Tilda Swinton's character is like a sort of Yorkshire Margaret Thatcher and she's doing like a sort of out and out there like comedy performance but then there's like horrific violence in it and like you know people you like die but it all kind of works it's not like all over the place people I like die people you like die in like the film Chris, like Chris <laughs> Chris I think your girlfriend died actually <laughs> in the first ten minutes um Sorry, it's awful. but I, yeah, I derailed you. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Very good. But anyway, like if you if you're familiar with the director's other works, it's very much in keeping with that. Like the host, this might be bad reviewing comparing to another film, but the host is like this monster movie about like a giant mutant tadpole. Yeah, it starts off with everyone just like in a park, and then the giant mutant tadpole like attacks everyone in like a minute in. And there's, you know, usually it's... There's, there's no messing about. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's like, it's that sort of thing. You know, shit just happens constantly and it's constantly um, changing. So with each character, the movie kind of changes a bit. Right. So there's like action sequence and then it's like a sort of sad bit and there's, you know, happy bit and there's a crazy bit and there's the same bit. And it's just awesome. And that's what I'm going to say about it. Well, I hope that it makes it to our screens. I would advise everyone to seek it out or wait for it to come out, but it might never come out. So maybe just watch it. Let's move on Interstellar. Interstellar. So the big movie that was out last week is Interstellar. So before we start, um, I just want to say that we're going to do a non-spoiler type review where we don't ruin any uh, of the key plot elements for people. And then after that, we'll do a spoilery section where we discuss specific uh, plot holes and what ties people wearing and stuff like that. Um, so we've both seen the film now. Uh, I haven't really spoken to you about it that much. Mm-hmm. So I would like to know whether you liked it or not. What did you think? I liked it. I also liked it. I'm well, we both liked it. I mean, as we uh, touched upon last week, there's a lot of uh, sort of negative reviews. Yeah, a lot of critical snooting. Yeah, like, and of, I just I think a lot of snooks. And I'd like been warned about this, like the schmaltziness. Yeah. But I just sort of went in wanting to like it. I was yeah. like, I don't. I'm gonna just put my cynicism in a little hat and put it by the door, <laughs> oh, and then come out and collect some coins on the way out. <laughs> and then I'll pick up my cynicism hat on the way out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very flawed, but it has like huge highs. Mm. Like there are like individual bits of the movie which are like amazing, mm. which uh, went a long way to sort of placating me against the sort of slightly ropier elements. Yeah, it sounds like we broadly agree on the movie, which is a shame because. I thought maybe we were going to have like opposite opinions and then we'd be... Uh, it'd be like a real podcast. <laughs> yeah, and we could have a real, you know, argument. It'd be thrilling listening. Yeah. So I thought that the film had uh, certain similarities with Inception um, in that it was this kind of mind-bending, epic film with all sorts of crazy geometry and a lot of very complex ideas that were you were constantly hearing about and a very sentimental undertone. But I thought that... Interstellar was more successful than Inception because um, firstly all of that convoluted exposition that he has to go through an Inception you know explain the world of dreams there's different levels you need a little totem for this and like this if this happens in the dream this all that kind of stuff that all seemed like some sort of arbitrary film rules that he'd made up whatever whereas all of that stuff in this movie is grounded in actual science so you're kind of more on board with it. Certainly, yeah. yeah. When there's a character who's like, by the way, this is true of black holes, you're like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. You know? And you know, if you're hearing about dreams, it's like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> if you say so. Um, and secondly, I think that the 
underpinnings of the story are much stronger in um, Interstellar. Because in Inception, the whole story is about the attempt to prevent a corporate merger. And it's like, I don't really you know, give a shit <laughs> about that. Whereas in Interstellar, it's all about um, mankind broaching new frontiers and um, traveling through black holes and like saving the future of humanity. Yeah. And like, you know, big, like huge, big ideas that immediately means that the sentimental aspects kind of make the, they're easy to take, I think. Um, also, I think that uh, a lot of people say this about Nolan's movies, but it, he continues to be a real asset to the film industry because he makes ideas films for hundreds of millions of dollars with no franchise prospects or like previous uh, franchise you know, to build on or anything like that. Yeah. And it's a fresh voice that is like becoming more and more necessary in the blitz of like superhero movies <laughs> and and sequels and all that sort of thing. And I think that, I don't know, maybe this is just uh, me um, moaning about one of my like personal like bugbears or whatever, but Interstellar got a lot of stick for its like schlockiness, you know. But it, to me, like that kind of um, lack of pretension is similar to Terrence Malick's films, which tend to come out and be like critically acclaimed or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know why everyone was like, you know, the Tree of Life is this like uh, beautiful, open-hearted, you know, embracing of uh, you know family love and everything like that. And the same kind of thing is true in Interstellar. But you know. yeah, I think in a way, like um, maybe that's more of a complaint about Terrence Malick than it is a point about the movie. And I don't know, he's got this reputation of being like a cold filmmaker. I don't think that's true. I feel like in every like, movie, he's trying harder and harder to like sh- silence those critics, and it's just not working. <laughs> They're still not convinced. I think part of part of the problem is that. Um, there's something about the like the screenplay and the characters, which gives you a um, the impression that it that that they're like all serving a function, you know. And I think people see it that way. Like they all feel like um, they're you know they're there for a particular purpose, and you don't sense too much inner life in them. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I think that's how people perceive it. And I think that the scripts themselves in Christopher Nolan movies, like the dialogue, tends to be uninspiring. I would say, <laughs> like somewhat. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there was a lot of clunky moments in the script. There were some clunky script moments, definitely. I think, um, yeah, like some of the science, necessary science exposition was a bit poorly handled. Yeah. I mean, part of it, like, Matthew McConaughey is like the sort of genius engineer, pilot, farmer, everyman. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, what's what's refreshing about the movie, all the main characters are scientists and engineers. They're all, like, smart people. Yeah. But, like, they need to explain what's happening to somebody. Yeah, yeah. So, like, somebody has to say, like, what's going on. Yeah. And, uh... It kind of made sense, because he's, like... He can do most things, but he doesn't know about quantum physics or whatever, so there's the particle physicist on the, you know... Yeah. Yeah. And there was one moment uh, we discussed before when, like, you know, he's explaining what a wormhole is right before they go into it. Yeah. And it's like, you probably should have known that before. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I mean he's the fucking captain right yeah. um, also I think I found the beginning of the movie and the end movie I thought were a little ropey and especially the beginning I thought like it fudged the sort of setup slightly yeah because without going into too much details like one of the big emotional points of the film is he has to leave his kids yeah. specifically his daughter doesn't really care about his son that no much. he doesn't <laughs> um, I found that quite funny as well <laughs> but there's a point of me he's like well you just stay then if you you know yeah yeah, so in a way, I feel like at points there were like two films going on. It's like one's this sort of father daughter relationship, one's this 
cool pioneering space movie. Yeah. And yeah. I was definitely more excited in the space movie space than movie. the daughter stuff. Yeah. And when the movie was really working with me, it was just all the stuff in space, like different planets, wormholes. Yeah. I think that was, that was that, the best stuff. That yeah. stuff was like amazing. And then uh, the daughter stuff, which becomes uh, Jessica Chastain, I was like a little less interested in. Okay, we are going to discuss some of the more spoilery elements of the plot now for those who have seen the film. So if you haven't seen it, you may wish to uh, mute your podcast and come back in <laughs> four minutes. That's a little gap for Katie to say how many minutes <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> I like how you say to, to mute it rather than just like fast forward. <laughs> mute it and sit there and wait for the time to tick by and then... Demuted. <laughs> listen to the rest of the podcast. All right, or skip skip forwards. Okay. Yeah. Th- th- that number again. It's four minutes. Spoilers. Okay. So first thing to say is um, Matt Damon's in this film when he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, get the spoilers out. Just to punish anyone who okay, listened for too long. <laughs> okay, my real criticism of the ending. Yeah. Um, even yeah. though it's sort of based on theoretical science, that, I think that will be this will be a controversial part of the film. It's so, it's so out there. Yeah. It, it like I think it, it lost me, mm. and it reminded <laughs> me of the Arthur C. Clarke quote, which I'll read now. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the ending is. It just becomes a bit of sort of magic science yeah. where he drifts into a massive hologram bookcase and then like pushes some sand or dust or something. And I was just about to be like, what the fuck is going on? It's like, it's like I can imagine like Christopher Nolan having this meeting with like a you know, particle quantum physicist or something like that. And Nolan's like, so um, five-dimensional space, like, what happens if you're in five dimensions? And the guy's like, well, we really don't know. He's like, brilliant. So I can literally write absolutely anything, and it will be grounded in science. I read a very pithy review where it um, said it was the first case of Deus Ex McConaughey in a film. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of had mixed feelings about it. I mean, it was extremely silly. But at that point in the movie, I was, like, it was totally, I mean... I think part of the value of it for me was that it was totally not what I expected to happen. You know, he ejects himself from the um, bigger spaceship, and he was drifting into the black hole, and his spaceship is, like, burning up, whatever. And then he, like, ejects himself, and I'm like, McConaughey's had it. I mean, he's being sucked into a black hole. Is there any more certain death than that? It's like something so so dense, light cannot escape it, but apparently McConaughey's going to be all right. McConaughey can. Then he gets sucked in, and then, like, suddenly he's in, like, this bizarre kind of labyrinth with all these, like, reflecting versions of his daughter's bedroom. And I don't know. It was a really striking image and came out of absolutely nowhere. And I feel like no one in the movie was under any illusions about, like, the, you know, um, the sort of leap of faith you had to make at that point. And so I kind of was like, okay, whatever. (laughs) I mean, even once he was down there, it, it continued to get even sillier because then he was like... The robot survives some reason. <laughs> yeah, Tarts. Uh, the, the robot is also in On this, like, note, fantasy. I love the world. robots. Yeah, the robots were great. Yeah, those like huge silver obelisks with yeah, like yeah. All the, yeah, that was really cool. What do you think of um, Matt Damon in it? I really, I really like Matt Damon in it. I thought that was good casting. Yeah, because like that character had like space crazy like action in his face. It's yeah, like yeah. we'll just cast the one guy you wouldn't expect to fuck you over. Yeah. 
It's like, Damon, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. But da- Damon's a good kind of um, backstabbing bastard, as we know from The Departed. So. Yeah. Do you... Um, I, I thought it was a sort of slight kind of like opposite of the Hal sequence from 2001. Hmm. Instead of like a sort of super logical computer, it's like a sort of irrational, crazy guy. But oh, the sort of okay. same thing happens. Yeah. He's like trying to inject one person oh, right, yeah. and take over the ship. Let me it's ask like you, the same beats, but... Could you follow his plan? What was his plan? No, Do you I'm have not... any idea what his plan was? How, how did him not... I can't let you leave for some reason. I'm going to kill you for some other reason. Yeah, I'm not really sure. What's going but on? That bit was bloody exciting. It's great bit. When he was, like, spinning the ship. No, his plan made sense. What was his plan? They were working the basis that they were going to... He had told them that this planet was livable. Uh-huh. So they were going to stay on it and set it up. And Matthew McConaughey was going to use the remaining fuel to go back to Earth. Yeah. He was like, no, like... He can't use remain fuel together because we need it to jump to the next planet, and hope that that is livable on. So I'm going to have to kill Matthew McConaughey. Go back. Oh, I see. Because he couldn't. Um, because he knew the planet wasn't livable, so he was yeah. going to have to convince them to go to the other planet. Yes. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes some sense. I couldn't work it out in the film. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Plot hole closed. <laughs> and finally. Um, Danny, have you seen uh, the new trailer for Mordecai? The um... Um, I haven't, Sam. Could you somehow express that to me? Yeah, actually, why don't we just play the trailer? Yeah. Okay, here it is. Hello. Goodness me. God. Crikey. Rather awfully sexy. Here's my manservant. Toodle pip. <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited for it. It sounds good. It's, it's great. Johnny yeah. Depp's like gone full like this is his version of midlife crisis. <laughs> it's like going to be like a sort of British fop. Yeah, you know, because he's like he's already you know somebody already owns like a Harley Davidson or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like he has to like reverse engineer his midlife. Yeah, crisis. he had his midlife crisis when he was like twenty one. <laughs> yeah, was, so what's he doing now? Exactly. Yeah, I really feel that Johnny Depp is just. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's got worse as an actor, but his career choices have just got poorer and poorer. Yeah, he's got less ambitious then. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was briefly attached to Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, he was gonna. I kind of feel like this is what that film could have been. (laughs) That's like how he would have interpreted the character. Yeah, definitely. It'd have been like more like this ridiculous, over the top Terry Thomas esque performance. (sighs) But remember when he was cool in the nineties, in the early noughties, and now he's just like not cool. I'm waiting for Edward too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. That's the end of this week's film chat. Next week we might be talking about the Imitation Game if we've seen it. And to send you off some wise words from Michael okay. Do not go gently into the bloody night. Alright? Don't give up. Rage against the uh, sunset. You've only supposed to blow the poem. <laughs> oh, come on. I don't know the poem. <laughs> At all. It was, I very firmly established this. That's, that, should be, that should be it. At least you should use that. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Let's just do one more take.